All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you for leading. Uh, how great is our God? And, man, that's why we're here this morning. We've come to celebrate our graduates and their accomplishments, but we're here to celebrate Jesus Christ and His accomplishment for us. So I'm glad you're here this morning. Again, we're, we're welcoming you. If you're not with us uh, uh, generally or usually in, in uh, uh, worship, we're glad you're here this morning. So uh, feel free to take part. But this morning, we come uh, to celebrate with our graduates and uh, their families on their accomplishments and their achievements and all their hard work that they've put in the last few years. And, man, for some, it's been a struggle, hasn't it? Y'all say that? Some of y'all graduates? It's been hard, hasn't it? It's not always easy. Uh, it's been a long road, but... Congratulations, you're here. You've made it. You've succeeded. With God's help, He has brought you through those things. And isn't that great? Man, that's an awesome feeling. I remember uh, my graduation. I, I, it was probably uh, maybe better for Mom and Dad than it was for me. They're just glad to get me out of there, too. So I'm thankful uh, that you guys have accomplished all those things. And uh, what a wonderful feeling. And uh, to finally get a new name and a new title. And that's kind of what our, our message is about this morning. A new name and a new purpose. Uh, for all these years, you've been referred to as a student, right? I mean, somebody asks you, say, what are you, I'm a student at, at Green County High School, or I'm a student at uh, Liberty University, or I'm a student at Camelsville, or uh, Lindsay Wilson, wherever you've been. And uh, that's great, but now, since you've graduated, you've got a new title, right? Now when they ask you, say, well, who are you? And you say, I am a graduate. Man, that just sounds a lot better than student, right? It feels a lot better. It comes off the tongue a lot better. So now when they ask you, you say, well, I'm a graduate from Green County High School or from Campbellsville University or whatever, that just sounds a lot better, and it feels better. But as I thought about that, man, as, as we look into that and uh, some new roles, um, I thought about that. The title comes with a new purpose, doesn't it? We have a new purpose in life. When we're graduates, now we're looking for new things. And that new purpose comes with new responsibilities. And uh, some of those are not always easy, but there comes with new responsibilities. And as you've studied and you've learned things through the years, uh, now you're expected to put them to use. All that time that you've put in, now it's time to use that knowledge. And that's the way it is kind of with our Christian walk. As we grow in our walk with Christ, when we hear the message of Jesus Christ, of, uh, and we understand that who He is. He is the Son of God. He is the perfect and sinless person who came for our sins. Uh, that He gave His life on the cross that you and I uh, could have eternal life. And on that third day, He was raised by the power of God. He was raised to life, and now He's at the Father's right hand. He's interceding for you and I. And uh, when we understand that and when we receive that gift, it, uh, it gives us a, a new purpose, and it motivates us. Man, it gives us a new desire and a new drive in life to go out and share. Because of what God has done for us, it motivates us to do something for God, and it gives us a new purpose. And that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, we're excited for you guys, but we want to look at now who God has called you to be. And then Christians, uh, as, as we're Christians, God has called us to a purpose in life, and we want to see that. So that's what Paul is reminding us here today. And the Corinthian people here in our text, uh, some of them were teaching false things, and they were questioning Paul's authority. And that's where we're going to pick up today, his motives for, for preaching the gospel. They were saying he was doing it for money and different things, but he was setting them straight on the truth about who Christ was and his motivation and his reason of why he was telling others about the truth. And uh, my prayer today is that that same text will renew your understanding of who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for you, and that, in return, will motivate you to go out and do something for Him. So, if you've got your Bibles or you want to follow along with us, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
Uh, going to start in verse 9, and that's where Paul picks up here. And he gives us three motives for ministry. And again, I hope and pray this will uh, encourage you today as you go out and be the hands and feet of Christ. He says here, the first one is the fear of the Lord, is the motive of ministry. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, So we make it our goal to please Him. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things we have done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. And again, that's kind of where we're coming from, our first motive, fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What, our, uh, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Paul says here that we're going to be judged one day by Christ based on our lives and how we live day to day. Uh, that may be a little bit scary for us as we start to think about that. But he's referring here to the judgment seat of Christ, and he says that there in verse 10. And um, as believers, we're going to give an account one day for all the things that we've done or all the things that we haven't done. And the Bible tells us that. And this is not to judge the believer on where he will spend eternity. Uh, if you want to know some more about that, you can come tonight. Man, Todd's going to share about that. Can you lose your salvation? This is not what that's about, not losing your salvation. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you stand justified by the blood of Christ, not by your works, not by your deeds, not by how much money you can throw in the offering plate. It's by His blood alone. And uh, there's a song about that. What can wash away my sins? It says nothing but what? The blood. It's not how good you can do, not how good you've been or what you're going to do. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ. So he's not talking here about uh, your salvation in response to that. He's talking about how you respond to salvation, okay, and that gift uh, and the fear of the Lord. So he's not talking, again, he's not talking about the salvation part of, of whether you're a Christian or not. He's talking about how you will receive those gifts on what you've done. Hebrews talks a lot about that. If you want to look into uh, uh, just that better sacrifice, Christ was a better sacrifice than anything we can offer, our money, our deeds, or any of that. Uh, but it says that Christ's blood was the sacrifice. And he tells us in Romans chapter 14, verse 8, says, Now, if we live, we live for the Lord. And when if we die, we die for the Lord's. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. If you catch that or not, we'll all stand there. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Again, this is for believers. We're going to give an account one day. And... Um, that's what Paul here, he's reminding us of. Uh, Paul's desire was to be well-pleasing for the Lord. He wanted to go out and share the good news of the gospel. He had understood it. He knew it. He had lived it. And uh, he was wanting to share it with those around him. He wanted to meet the Lord with an enthusiasm about the life he had lived. And uh, Paul didn't have a fear of the Lord, not to be saying he was scared of him or he was living in terror of that day. And I hope you're not. I hope you're living with enthusiasm for the day that you will stand before Christ and you will uh, give back to him what he's given to you. And, uh, but he was living to bring joy to Christ by honoring him with his life. And he was living in awe and the utmost respect for the Lord. So I want to know today, could that be said for you in your life? How are you living? If your life was to end today, I mean, boom, you're on the way home, life is over, car wreck or whatever happens, how would that tally up before the Lord? Because he says here, we're going to give an account. Each and every one of us as believers, we will stand 
before the judgment seat of Christ. So he says, uh, how will that be? What will that look for like in your life? Uh, I was thinking about that in children. Man, they give us a great example of that. Children are great uh, examples of, of, of living a life for us. If you think about that time, Hayden, they come home a lot of times with their little schoolwork or Sunday school material, and they say, hey, Daddy, look at this. Look what I colored today, or look how I've done on my test. And they're just basically looking for a job well done. Good job, son. I'm proud of you. I'm thankful that you're trying hard and doing that. And that's what Paul's saying here about God. He's going to stand before him, and he wants to hear God say, job well done. And I hope and pray that you're living like that yourself. Uh, so I ask you this morning, would your life reflect that? Is it pointing others to Christ? Are you living uh, in fear of the Lord? And he says there, he moves on in verse 12. He says, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. Now, he's not doing this for the praise of people. He's not doing this for all the people around him to look and say, man, look how good Paul's doing today. He's doing a great job living for the Lord. He's doing it so that they'll understand who God is and that change in his life. Paul, if you'll look back in his life, man, that, he's just a great testimony. He says he was the chief of sinners. And man, God just totally uh, reworked his life. And, and that's what he's saying here. He said it's all about him. And um, so he's doing it so that people uh, will recognize the Lord, not himself. And we went to the graduation the other night, and uh, the, all those students, they all got rounds of applause. But I noticed something. At the end of the night, the applause was over. And that's the way it is in our lives. If we're doing it for the other people around us, that applause will end one day. We should be serving the Lord out of fear of the Lord for his praise and his applause. That will never end. So I want to ask you today, are you doing that? Uh, he wasn't trying to commend himself. Not doing it for his own praise. Paul's ministry was for Christ and Christ alone, not for himself. And he goes on there in verse 13. He says, um, Paul's enemy says he's crazy. I don't know if anybody's ever looked at you and said, man, that dude is crazy for Christ. we got a lady in Changers. Uh, they call her a pit bull for Christ. I mean, she goes after folks. Miss June, I love her to death. She wants people to know about Jesus Christ. And it's kind of, I believe here, what they're saying about Paul. It says in verse 13, if we are out of our mind... As some say, it is for God. If we're in a right mind, it is for you. They're saying Paul has lost it. Okay, His ministry, man, this dude is off the hook. He has lost it. This life that he has lived and the message he has preached was crazy to him, And he didn't understand that. And it kind of sounds familiar to our lives today, doesn't it? If you look around in the world, you listen to the news and different things, uh, that sounds real familiar. If you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 now here, it says, The God of this age... Now, who is that? This little G-God? I'm a Satan here, right? It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Right there. Um, now, he's saying here that uh, that, that fear uh, gives him kind of a boldness. And that other people are looking at him as if he's crazy. Uh, but he's saying, Don't let that criticism stop you from serving Jesus Christ. And as I think about our young people today, I think they face that a lot. When you're going through school, uh, some of you guys are getting ready to go off to college campuses. And I'll go ahead and warn you, uh, it's probably not going to be the popular message on, on campus. Whether you're in high school, middle school, college, in a job site, that's probably not going to be the most popular thing people want to hear about. Um, but he says here, Paul says it, it may seem crazy, but continue to serve the Lord. You may be labeled, just like Paul was here, as crazy. Uh, out of our minds, we're crazy. But I want to encourage you today, 
You be obedient to Christ and share His gospel. And God will open their hearts and minds to receive it. You don't have to do that part. You just have to be obedient to share. And God will allow their hearts to hear it. So uh, we're moving on. And Paul says uh, to say that the fear of the Lord motivates him. But also the second thing, the love of Christ motivates him. And it should motivate us too. Uh, And he says there, For the love of Christ compels us, in verse 14, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. Now Paul here, he's saying the love of Christ means his love was displayed for us in a sacrificial death that Christ did on the cross. If you're waiting for God to reveal his love to you in some other form or fashion, I want to tell you, you don't need to look anywhere else. You can look at the cross of Christ, and that's where he's proved his love for us. He don't need to do anything else to display that today. There's nothing else he could do to show you anymore how much he loves you. And that's what Paul is saying here. He said that love that he understood, that love that he recognized that God showed him, through the cross of Christ is now what compels him to go out and share that. Um, it says that uh, your, your, uh, Christ took your wrath on the cross. He said he bore your sin and your shame so that you wouldn't have to. You can, he accepted your sins so that you could accept uh, his love, God's love. And that's what we want to look at here in just a moment with John, first, it's supposed to be First John, I apologize for that, it cut it off. But First John chapter 4 gives us a good text about this. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. You want to know the definition of love? Here it is. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Literally, Jesus Christ became sin so that we wouldn't have to suffer that wrath. That's the greatest gift of love that we could ever see. He goes on in Romans uh, chapter 5 again here. Paul says, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless in our weakness and in our sin, Christ died for the ungodly. Whether you want to think it or not, the ungodly there is us. Sin has separated us. He says, For we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that ungodly there is you and I. He says in verse 7, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates. He's demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, When you stop and think about why uh, Christ died and who He died for, you can't help but love Him and to share that with others. And that's where Paul's coming from now. He's looking at that. And he's saying, man, that love was for me. He did that for me, and he did that for everybody else around us. So I need to share that. So I'm asking you today, are you doing that? He says in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said, I'm determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was consumed with the love of Christ, and he didn't care what came in his way. He was going to share that. Uh, Peter and John was the same way. If you look back in Acts chapter 4, It says, as for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. So I wonder today, as your life uh, uh, examined, if you examined your life, would it display that today? Have you been in the presence of the Lord, and is it showing through you? 
Uh, do you know the love of Christ? Today here, Paul says that the love of Christ compels us. So if you're not being compelled to go out and share, I want to know today, do you know the love of Christ? You personally. Because he says there, we'll stand before him one day. Have you ever considered how much God really loves you? If you haven't, take a look at the cross in these verses today. Man, they just point us to him. And it says here, does it compel you to share with a lost and dying world? If not, examine again the cross and how much that uh, penalty was paid for you. So it goes on here in verse 17. For the love of Christ compels us and motivates us for ministry. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Paul says, if you are in Christ, you are a new person. And uh, here he's talking about if we not only have a new viewpoint of who Christ is, how much he loves us, um, but we also have a new viewpoint of other people around us. And when now we look at them with a different perspective. Henry Blackaby had a quote in our Sunday school material a couple of weeks ago that really stuck out. He said that Christianity is not something you add to your life. It is life. And that's what Paul was displaying here. Man, he was consumed. That was his new life. And he was a new creation in Christ. So you don't look at life from the earthly or the temporary view anymore, but from an eternal perspective. And as I was preparing for today, I thought back to uh, a story uh, when God told Elijah to, uh, to go and to anoint Elisha to be a prophet, to, uh, to succeed him in that ministry. And in 1 Kings, if you'll go back, we don't have time to read through all that today, but 1 Kings chapter 19, it said that Elisha was plowing the field and he had 12 pair of oxen. And Elijah, he goes by and he throws his mantle over him. And if you'll look at the mantle, that was kind of a coat in those days, or they called it a cloak. And Elijah goes by and he throws that over Elijah's back. And that coat kind of symbolized, they used it a lot for maybe their dress or uh, some weather protection, maybe their bedding and different things. But it symbolized there with Elijah's life his, uh, his prophet office. Okay, so when he took it and throwed it onto the back of Elijah, um, Elisha says wholeheartedly, hey, he's willing to serve the Lord and follow Elijah in his footsteps and just proclaim who Jesus is. It says he goes back and he, he kisses his mom and dad goodbye. He slaughtered 12 pair of oxen. He burned the plows up. He didn't want anything from his old life hindering him in his new life. And as I thought about that, man, it just overwhelmed me a little bit. He didn't want those old things, the old plow, the old oxen, those things of his old life of who he was to hold him back from being who God had called him to be. He had called him to be um, out of that life from a plowboy. Now he's a prophet. And uh, so he wasn't going to allow any of those old things to hold him back. And uh, so I thought about that and some of that new life. And some of you here this morning are still holding on to the plow. And you're allowing some of those old things to hold you back from serving the Lord like he's called you to do. Uh, maybe here this morning, I don't know, maybe it's past regrets, uh, past failures. Uh, maybe spending habits. Brother Charlie is going to share with us after a while. Just financial peace, man. Some of those things just bear us and, and weight us down. Uh, so maybe it's some of that. Maybe it's sinful relationships. Maybe you're involved in things that you don't need to be with other people. Greed, forgiveness, grudges, bitterness. I don't know what it is this morning, but if you're here this morning and you're still hanging on to those things, Christ is bringing them to him. And he'll give you freedom. Those things are holding you back from serving the Lord. I want to call you to be like Elisha. I want to call you just to burn those things up. I'm not saying it's always going to be easy, financial peace. Some of those things, maybe they take a while. And I was thinking about that. Uh, Twelve oxen. I've never slaughtered an oxen before. I've, uh, I've killed a few deer and, and uh, worked some of those up. And it's not always a real nice, pleasant job. And it's not easy. But I can imagine that 24 oxen would be a job. 
God doesn't say it's always going to be an easy task, but He says He will be with you through that. So, uh, again here, the love of Christ has changed Paul. And he says that that is his motive for ministry. And the third one here we're going to look at, and the last one, and I promise to close after this, it says, Paul says, the fear of the Lord motivates us, the first one. The love of Christ motivates us. And then it says the third one, the commission of Christ motivates us. It says in verse 18, it starts, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now the key idea here that Paul is looking at in that phrase and that term, it keeps rolling back up as reconciliation. And it says that because of, of man's sin and rebellion against God, that separates us. Uh, again, Romans 3.23 talks about that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If, uh, if you were to draw it out, you could point a picture. Like, I've seen it different ways. God's standing on one side of maybe like the Grand Canyon or whatever. And we're on the other, and there's a huge gap, and we can't get back to God. But if you place the cross of Christ there in between, that now allows us access back to him. And that's what this term reconciliation here, to be brought back to God, to right standing with God. Uh, and that work of Christ on the cross has made that way for us. And it brings us back and allows us access to him. And when we receive uh, Christ and put our faith in him and our trust in him as our Lord and Savior, we're brought back to a right relationship with God. It's as if we have never sinned before. And uh, that's where he comes up with this term here, uh, not counting people's sins against them. As I thought about that and studied a little bit, that's kind of a banker's term. Brad Hodges might want to use that, imputing. All right, it says in the King James Version, imputing our sins, or not imputing our sins against us. That word imputing, uh, it just kind of looks back as a, a banking term. Again, it just says that money is put to your account. When they impute, impute your check into your account, now you've got some money in there. And that's what it's saying here. Paul says that Christ has done for us. He has imputed his righteousness to our account. When we receive him, we receive that. And uh, Paul is saying that all of our sins were imputed on Christ on the cross so that we wouldn't have to bear them. And that is a gift from him. And I don't know about you, but I like good deals, don't you? I like to make good trades. And that's what Paul's saying here. The deal, it's not going to get any better than that. Paul says that uh, Christ has traded all of his bad for all of his good. And he's offering that today. So I wonder today, who would want that? Who would want to make that deal with God today and allow him to take all of your bad and give you all of his good? And he says here, going on in verse 19, Paul says, God has given us the message to give to the world. Look at that again. Reconciling himself, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That means that we have a purpose in life. Not only are we to know who Jesus Christ is, but now we're to go out and share him with those around us. He calls us ambassadors. Look at that, Christ ambassadors. As though he's making an appeal through us. If you'll look back and study on ambassador, it's just an official representative uh, of one country on behalf of another country. And that's what Christ has done. And now he's called us to be an ambassador for him, making his appeal uh, on behalf of Christ through us. 
And we are his representatives to Christ of the world. So I want to ask you this morning, how are you doing with your new responsibilities? Are you being that? Are you being an ambassador? Are you making an appeal on behalf of Christ? If you are a Christian, then God has called us to that here. He says we are ambassadors. So what does that look like? How do we flesh that out? Uh, Dr. Tony Evans, he gives a great illustration. I thought about our graduates as they begin to go out and look how they can serve Christ in the world and who God calls them to. He says, um, Tony Evans says, a teacher shouldn't just be a teacher. He ought to be God's representative in the classroom so that the classroom can see what God looks like teaching students. He gives another one. A nurse shouldn't just be a nurse. They should be God's representative in the health field so the health field can see how God helps hurting people. A spouse or a parent shouldn't just be a spouse or a parent. They ought to be God's representative in the family so that the family can see what God looks like leading the family. And uh, so I don't know where God has called you. Uh, some of you are coaches. Some of you are students. Some of you are uh, working factories. Whatever it is, God has placed you there for a reason. And that's to share and to be an ambassador about Christ. And uh, as I got to looking, I come across a story, and I heard this one day on AFR. And as we close, uh, I'm going to read this here. Maybe it'll encourage you. Some of you guys might know this fellow here. Anybody recognize that face? Billy Graham. Probably most everybody in this place knows him. We're going to read just a little bit. It says, as of 2008, this is a little bit old, so there's several years have passed, Billy Graham's estimated life audience included radio and television broadcasts, top 2.2 billion. That means that approximately 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel from Billy Graham's mouth. That's a little bit hard to think about, isn't it? That's a lot of people. But it started somewhere else right before Billy Graham besides him. Listen to this. It says, take Edward Kimball, for example. Anybody ever heard of Edward Kimball? Didn't think so. I hadn't either. It says, rest assured, nobody, probably many of us haven't. It says, Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who had not prayed, uh, who had not only prayed for the hyper boys in his class, but he also sought to win each one to the Lord personally. He decided he would be intentional with every single last one of them. Surely he thought about throwing in the towel. If you've ever taught the Bible to young boys, you know that the experience can often be like herding cats. I did not say that. That's what this guy said, okay? <laughs> I love our youth, all right? One young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about. So Kimball went to the shoe store where he was stocking shelves, and he confronted him in the stockroom with the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That young man was Dwight L. Moody. Anybody ever heard of Moody? Crazy Moody, they called him. Man, he was crazy for Christ, too. It says, in the stockroom on that Saturday, he believed the gospel and received Jesus Christ as his Savior. In his lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God, with thousands professing Christ through his ministry. But that story doesn't end there. Actually, that's where it begins. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God, Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became the evangelist who preached to thousands. And one day, a professional ball player had a day off and attended one of Chapman's meetings. And thus, Billy Sunday was converted. Sunday quit baseball and became part of Chapman's team. Then Chapman accepted the pastorate of a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. Again, if you just kind of keep up with this, this theme here of sharing the gospel. says, another young man converted whose name was Mordecai Ham. He was a scholarly, dignified gentleman who wasn't, about renting a, uh, who wasn't above renting a hearse and parading it through the streets 
advertising his meetings. When Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man, then in high school, vowed that he would not go here and preach. But Billy Frank, as he was called by his family, did eventually go. Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house of ill repute was located across the street from the local high school and that male students were skipping lunch to visit the house across the street. When students decided to go interrupt the meetings of Mordecai Ham, Billy Frank decided to go see what would happen. That night, Billy Frank went and was intrigued by what he heard. Returning another night, he responded to the invitation and was converted. Billy Frank eventually became known as Billy Graham, the evangelist who preached to more people than any other person who has ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. At 2.2 billion people that he had reached, I don't think that even grasped. Um, I know with Miss Elizabeth here, we've got uh, Operation Christmas Child. You think alone how many people that has touched. That's Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham. So the, uh, the, uh, the results of just sharing the gospel, man, it is uh, immeasurably more than you could imagine or ask. So I compel you today, and that's what Paul says as we close here. He says, why is it so important for you to understand the fear of the Lord, to understand the love of Christ, and to understand the commission of Christ? He finishes up here in, in chapter 6. He said, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, it is the time of my favor I heard you, and the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. These men here that shared with these other young men understood that time is drawing near. And I don't know if you understand that tonight, but that's what I want to uh, urge you today. And being an ambassador and making an appeal, Christ is coming back. And that day is much closer than it was here when Paul wrote this. So I want to appeal to you today. Man, today is a day of salvation. If you are here this morning and you've never received that penalty, that price that Christ has already paid, man, he's offering that free gift to you today. So I encourage you to come and just receive that. Maybe you have people in your life today that need to hear this message of, of reconciliation. Man, they don't know it. And they just need you to proclaim it. They need you to be who God's called you to be, an ambassador. And make that appeal to them. Whatever it is, I hope and pray this morning that you will be obedient and just uh, uh, just call out to Him and give you power and strength for that. So, as our, our ministry uh, team comes to lead us, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, God, for your Word, God, for your just your drawing of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray this morning, God, that you would open our minds, our hearts, our eyes, our ears, God, just to see and receive your love, Lord. Uh, God, I'm thankful this morning for Jesus Christ and the cross that he bore so that I wouldn't have to. God, he said he'd done that for all people. So, Lord, I pray this morning, if there's one here that has never received you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray this morning that your spirit would just speak to them, Lord. Help them to understand and realize how much you love them, God. And may that compel them to respond. God, may that compel us as Christians to respond, God, and just to go out and proclaim that good news and that hope that we have in Jesus Christ and be the ambassadors, God, that you've called us to be. Lord, again, I just pray that your spirit will move and God, people will answer. And today, we give you thanks and praise for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.